I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hello, Pelican fans, and welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls, the official podcast of SB Nation's TheBirdRightsThoughts.com. I am David Grubb, and once again, I am joined by Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cosell. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Can't complain. Dave, how about yourself? Are you doing well, my friend? It's been a beautiful day. I had the kids outside <laughs> playing in the backyard today. It was great. That's a good thing. Nolly, you had a good one today. Busy day. Oh, yeah. Just like you. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Talking to Trajan Langdon, getting a little bit more excited, if that's even possible, about the Pelicans. Yeah. Uh, if you are a regular listener, you know that, that usually right now we'd already be talking about um, possible trade destinations for power forward number 23 or Anthony Davis, whichever you prefer. Um, tonight we will be discussing the New York Knicks, and if you missed any of our previous episodes, please go check them out. Um, we think you'll enjoy them. We've gotten great feedback from them, and we appreciate everybody who has listened and given us the feedback. Um, just tons of folks have come to the site lately, and it's been fantastic, um, and we're grateful for that. But before we get into the, the Knicks, Ali, you and I were on a conference call today with David Griffin and Trajan Langdon, the Pell's new general manager. Um, he hasn't even been on the job 48 hours yet. What were your takeaways from that call today and um, what those guys had to say? Um, you know, what was your impression of Langdon and what was your impression of what, what they, uh, uh, the, the uh, overall plan that they laid out? I was impressed. We had heard, you know, with Langdon that the worry was his inexperience was a big detractor in him getting that, you know, the lead job with New Orleans Pelicans. The fact that, though, he has consistently gotten interviews with, you know, for just this year alone with the Minnesota Timberwolves and, of course, the Washington Wizards, that, of course, he's highly valued. And, you know, last year he had a couple uh, interviews as well, and I remember one of them being the Detroit Pistons. So this guy is highly regarded, but yet nobody's given him that job, his next leap. And so when we talked to him, uh, I was impressed. Look, this, this guy maybe isn't as eloquent as David Griffin in terms of, you know, laying out the plan, but you can't fault Langdon for that simply because, as he told us over the uh, phone conference, 
he still was literally on a phone conference doing job his job with the Nets last night. So I'm impressed. I mean, he laid out his resume and he talked about what he's done. But in, more so than just boasting about anything, it's the fact that he told us literally in, in like a good genuine sense of what we can expect of what he would contribute to the Pelicans. And of course, it revolves around the scouting department, the G League team, and uh, anything else that Griffin requires, which is what he's done for Sean Marks up with the Brooklyn Nets. So I'm excited. I mean, I think he's a legit real deal. And I think that the Pelicans landing him is just incredible. When you think about the fact that on top of all of our lists for the next general manager to replace Dell Demps, who was number one, Trajan Langdon's name was usually up there, despite the fact that, you know, both Griffin and Danny Ferry had a lot more experience and uh, a lot more savviness and a lot more respected, you know, more respected opinions across all the executives in the league. Langdon still was always, you know, kind of the favorite. So the fact that the Pelicans landed him and David Griffin, it's incredible. So I was, I was, you know, I was thoroughly impressed with what he had to say to us. And I'm sure we'll get in a little bit more on what he had to say. But overall, I like his vision. And I know that both Fish and I extremely, extremely are happy about what it is. And it's the fact that the Pelicans have kind of a long-term view on, on their future. It's the fact that they're not going to make sacrifices, no short-term sacrifices, which involves, you know, giving up draft picks, kind of bring in the veteran now to kind of help like, you know, in years past, Anthony Davis. No, this, this seems like a, such a determination, such, such a different mindset that we can all be excited and get behind. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, it, it's, it's rare that a team gets to hire two of its four top candidates for one position and put them in their front office. Um, so, yeah, for the Pelicans to, to be able to secure Griffin and then get um, – Langdon out of the deal too um, is a coup for the Pelicans. Uh, and I think it, you know, again, it continues that credibility shift of what kind of organization this is. Um, and, and it clearly draws a dividing line between what kind of organization it was. Kevin um, or David, whichever wants to chime in first or both of you, please. Um, what was the thing that stood out for you from the comments that uh, Trajan Langdon made today? For me, it was like, you know, what we always praise the Nets for having, like start trying to build an identity and a culture, which is something we've been complaining about here for so long that we never had that, you know, and um, knowing what we know with how they built the Nets and with especially with the limited assets that they had going into it, um, you know, it's very impressive what him and Sean Marks have done there. And they, they've certainly done that through their coach coaching hire and the kind of players that they got. And they built a culture that was infectious and everybody bought in. And that's what we need, especially knowing that we are going to have a ton of assets for them to be able to work with to do this, but also that it's going to require bringing in a lot of young players. So knowing that they know the kind of players that they want to put together um, and have a vision of how to build a team from the ground up is, you know, the most important thing that he said, I think. Um, and it's, you know, why he was my top choice uh, when we we're talking about general manager candidates. And my dream was for him to be paired with a more senior guy as a president. Um, and so I got both. And, you know, clearly Griffin was considered by uh, most people to be the top choice in the, in that role. So we got two of the top choices. It's, you know, th there's nothing you can complain about right now in terms of the front office. 
Fisher, what was what was your highlight today? Dave? Uh, I muted myself. No, I'm still here. I muted myself so you guys wouldn't hear me typing. Um, (laughs) So the biggest thing that that jumped out to me is the fact, um, again, like Kevin stated, the fact that he said that we can't skip any steps, and that's why teams have failed. I think if you read a little bit further into that, that's some, like, underhanded shade at Dell Dumps right there because there's no greater example of a team attempting to skip steps than the New Orleans Pelicans circa 2012 through 2019. And that's precisely why we're in the place that we are now. I'd have to agree with that. Uh, <laughs> that has been the the, the defining, uh, I guess, thing of this, this uh, organization has been just trying to keep building a plane on the fly and having no real destination. Um, your thoughts... Let's, let's go around the group and just get thoughts on Griffin discussing his potential meeting with Anthony Davis during the draft workouts out in LA. Um, what do you think the chances are of Griffin convincing AD to, to come back to the Pelicans? Let's start with uh, Fisher. I'm still at about 25%, if not lower. My concern is because he said multiple times that we could be Oklahoma City and Paul George is that he might roll it out even if Anthony Davis does not commit to the extension this summer. That's, I mean, if you're looking at what the, what's the example that he's discussing when he says we could be Paul George, OKC traded for Paul George. George was on a one-year contract at that point. And they said, if we keep him in our organization for one year, we can convince him to stay beyond that. And that is my biggest concern is is that he's saying, hey, Anthony, I know that you want to trade. I'm not trading you this summer. I know you're not going to sign this extension, but give me until the trade deadline to see if it works. Because I don't want that kind of environment when we're talking about the very foundation of the team being rebuilt with Zion. That's, that's, that's my biggest concern with what Griffin continues to say. Kevin, to pick that up, how, how detrimental or will it be detrimental at all if AD were to return, knowing that there could potentially be a move at the trade deadline, do you think that impedes the, the, the growth of the team, knowing that there, there's going to be an influx of new players, um, no matter what happens? Yeah, I mean, if AD does, says he's not signing the extension, I think they have to trade him right away. And I really don't think he's going to sign the extension. And I don't, I don't think his mind has been changed at all, regardless of this. It's just the situation has come to a head. Um, you know, like we were discussing off air, air earlier, it's almost like he did the decision uh, program that LeBron did, but he did it in the middle of a season. And then it's going to happen again uh, in the middle of a season where you're trying to really change the culture of the team, the way the teams run and instill a culture, which is also one of the reasons why I was a little, you know, disappointed that Alvin came back as coach. It's nothing really against Alvin. I just thought, you know, you're starting over new and in like, that's all we heard is, you know, changing the culture, changing everything you know, I was hoping to have another coach to install that. I don't have a problem with Alvin. I think they were going to, you know, I was happy with the plan to move him up. But I think doing this with AD is worse than what it w- it is definitely for bringing back Alvin because 
you know, you have a disgruntled employee basically on his two weeks notice and you're trying to get these young players to buy into something that this guy is not buying into and, and has one foot out the door already. And I just don't think it's a great environment to have when you're going to have such a young team, especially a young uh, franchise like player like Zion for sure. Plus whatever else gets added. If once you were to trade them out or, because you have to bring in young, inexperienced guys if you have AD on the roster anyway because you don't have money to really uh, spend on anybody else. So there's all those aspects. Ollie, one of the things that kind of stood out when he did talk about that was A, him saying that he wanted to sit down and do this face-to-face, and then B, the part that he's it's he insinuated basically that he had already had conversations with Rich Paul in this interim period. Do you think that those conversations have led him to, to believe that AD is going to stay. And then also um, as far as the seeing him eye to eye, do you think that there's something that Griffin really just wants to lay down with Anthony Davis? You know, I'm not going to try and even guess as to what Griffin and uh, Rich Paul, you know, whatever interactions that they have had as to what the outcome was, because, you know, honestly, none of that even matters you have to assume that Rich Paul has kind of given kind of what AD is looking for or where the general sense of where his client wants to be or what he wants to do. But we know what Griffin wants. And I think that's the key that everybody has to focus in on. We, I mean, Griffin has made it substantially clear on the kind of vision that he has laid out for the Pelicans. And honestly, from right for, you know, God, you, however far back you guys want to go back, Anthony Davis has not once met it. I mean, he, at every turn, has kind of, and we've heard all the rumors, he completely refuses to accept the fact that he may want to return to New Orleans. All we hear is that he's still adamant about wanting out. So that, to me, just screams like this scenario, regardless of whatever relationships, who has with who, I mean, it's a done deal. But again, you know, until Anthony Davis honestly sits in front of David Griffin, as we all know, is going to be the biggest factor, the biggest influence in making his determination on where he wants to play, you know, from this date moving forward. Um, it's a toss-up. I mean, Griffin supposedly has that pull, right? We've heard, heard from how many executives they've talking about how Griffin is so persuasive. And then we see, have seen his results. But yet on the other side, we've seen nothing but Anthony Davis being staunch in his uh, stance on wanting out. So who's going to win out? I mean, you, some people may say it's a toss-up, but I really feel like that determines that, that, that ship has sailed. So I just, I just think that Griffin's going to meet with him. He's going to do his due diligence, and that's what he's doing. And even though there's no set date and time, the meeting is going to take place. It's going to happen sometime here in L.A., once those uh, NBA draft workouts happen for this upcoming draft. And you've got to think that Griffin's going to be powerful in his presentation. I mean, Alvin Gentry literally told us that this guy's got something up his sleeve that he's going to be, Anthony Davis is going to be wowed by. But again, if AD's got his mind made up, nothing's going to change that, guys. So I fully expect that, you know, Griffin's going to learn basically. And what he wants to hear is AD is all in. He's not going to hear that. So it's going to be time to move on. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you. I just don't see a path back. I don't see for that Davis wants one, and I don't see how you can build one. Uh, 
uh, one of the good news that we, uh, items of the day was that uh, Andrew Lopez of NOLA.com reported that Gail Benson is putting $4.8 million into improving the team's practice facility. Um, that's a big jump over the previously reported 800K. Uh, Kevin, again, in, in rebuilding this franchise and its perception, how, how big is a move like this? It's massive. I mean, like we've said, everything he's done since he's come in, you know, hire the top young GM that was out there, hire the best training uh, staff, you know, um, invest in the analytics department, the scouting department, um, and then now getting, uh, you know, having Gail Minson agree to, you know, rebuild the facility with input from this training staff we brought in, getting everything he needs to to have a healthy team, a team that's on level or or above what else is happening out there in the league, give you that advantage. And also, you know, you see in guys like Jared Dudley and other players like that commenting on what's happening here. Players are noticing what's happening here. Now, possibly this is becoming more of a, a destination for players, especially aging players that know what this training staff is all about. You know, you want to get you a good veteran in here for leadership or just spot minutes, something like that. You might be able to get a guy, you know, to come in that's going to, you know, really help your team, especially in the locker room because of what all these changes that have been made. Uh, you know, a lot of the young guys are still going to go, you know, places for endorsements and stuff like that. But when you're hitting this other market, you know, everything he's doing might really benefit us greatly on that on that end of the free agent spectrum. Yeah, I think it's it's a, a great move for the team. Um, again, putting that kind of investment into the facilities. And, and we've been out there, Ali, so many times. Um, and, and Alvin has talked to us about things that not, you know, not that he didn't like, but things that he thought could be improved that just didn't happen before. So, uh, again, we don't want to, I guess we don't want to deal or speculate about as to why's before, because I think that is a question one day that we needed, that we should talk about as to why these things didn't happen for eight years, but it is great to see that they're happening now. All right, let's move on to the Knicks. Um, I think the Knicks are going to end up being one of the most controversial teams on our list uh, because they are both incredibly desperate for talent, uh, superstar talent in particular, but what they have to give for that is more speculative than any sure thing that you might get from them. So, um, Kevin, let's start with you. What were you thinking as you put your proposal together? How did you evaluate the Knicks? And then um, let us know what, what you came up with. Well, I mean, obviously the dream scenario is where you're going to be able to pair something and move up with Memphis to get that number two to get John ja Morant. Um, however, I don't really see that happening. I don't think that – I think Memphis is in love with John ja Morant, and I don't. I think it would take a crazy offer to, to get that. And I, then I think you're giving up everything else that you get from AD to take a gamble on, a, on another rookie. So, uh, you know, I don't see that happening. Um, and I assume maybe somebody else has that as an option. So I, I tried to do something different. Um, so for mine, I have the Knicks getting Anthony Davis and then the Pelicans get, uh, Dennis Smith, Jr. Alonzo Trier, Lance Thomas, Mitchell Robinson. They get Mikhail Bridges from the Suns, the Suns, uh, pick in this draft, which is number six. And then they get, um, the Knicks pick in 2020, um, the Dallas pick in 2021, and then whatever is best of the 2023 picks from New York or Dallas. And then the Suns get Kevin Knox, Frank, Frankie Smokes, and the third pick in this draft. 
Okay. Now, Fisher's the, the master of the multiple team trade. So I, I, I'm going to let you, you talk about that one and then get into your own. Yeah. Um, so the first thing, um, man, that's a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would, I would still like the third pick to come here. I see why he's doing the move up, move down. I don't know if Phoenix really values that moving up as much unless they have their, just their eyes on either Garland or Kobe white, but they can probably assume that one of those guys are going to be there at six. So, but uh, there were a couple of questions actually we got when we were discussing, you know, that we we're going to discuss this tonight. The yeah, and I got and, yeah, I uh, got plenty of them. <laughs> there's a couple of them that are kind of in my wheelhouse. So um, caffeinated disaster or caffeine disaster asked yes. um, about trading, having the team make the pick and then trade. And I think that's something that we need to discuss just in totality of the Anthony Davis trade in general. It makes the most sense for the deal to be agreed to on draft night before the team who is going to be trading for Anthony Davis makes the pick. Yes. So that the pick that they're making is for the Pelicans, but that team's still making it. So, for instance, when we're using the Knicks, the Knicks and the Pelicans, the trade is announced like when the Knicks get on the clock or something. But the Knicks still make the pick. Mm -hmm. It's the Knicks picking R.J. Barrett or Jared Culver, or whoever your favorite prospect is at three. <clears throat> the trade itself won't take place either until June 30th, or, and I'm going to jump into this here in just a second, even later than that because the Knicks decide to sign the pick first and then include the salary in the trade. That's something that the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Cleveland Cavaliers did when um, they traded for Kevin Love and Andrew, Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they needed the salary to count to make it work. Mm -hmm. So you have to sign the rookie, and then you have to wait 30 more days to actually make the trade. <laughs> so, But if the Pelicans can work out that the Knicks are going to make the third pick for the Pelicans, but it's the Knicks pick, then the Knicks can still include their 2020 pick in it because they've got around the stipend rule, which exactly. we discussed a little bit on the Lakers pod. So that's the, that's the, that's the first thing. One question so, on that real quick, though, guys. Let me ask you this. Um, mm -hmm. Isn't it almost better – I was just thinking about this. Isn't it almost better to not get the 2020 pick and to start with 2021 because there's a chance that AD walks away it, from from that contract, goes somewhere else, and then they're in shambles again, and then you get the better pick possibly? I, I agree with what you're saying there, but this gets into another question that we had from Alexis Glosser, which is, are you worried about the Pelicans having too many young guys at one time? The one thing that you know you're going to ask for from the Knicks outside of the third pick is the Dallas 2021 pick, yes. which is unprotected. You know right. it will, you know it's going to come over in 2021. And we've discussed this farther back with the draft picks. I want the Pelicans to have as many swings as back at the, of the axe as possible. Mm -hmm. not too many swings in one draft. So mm -hmm. how the biggest thing on how I'm lining up this Knicks trade is I want their 2019 pick that's going to be a player. But then I want their 2020 pick 
so that I have two picks that year. I'll have the mm-hmm. Pelicans and then I'll have the Knicks pick. Then in 2021, I'll have the Pelicans pick and I'll have the Dallas pick. Then the Knicks can also include their pick in 2022. I'd have two picks again. And then they also have the 2023 Dallas pick. And that one has some protections. I want to say it's like one through 10. It's like mildly protected. <laughs> but you don't necessarily need to make all of those picks. You just want to have them spread out so that if you do, you don't run into a Celtic scenario where we have four first round picks in one draft and everyone knows we have to burn them some way. <laughs> if you just yeah. have two, you can slide in you can slide in two rookies. You can slide in two rookies and then, you know, one guy you know, flakes out or I mean, you know you're going to fail with draft picks. That's why you want a lot of them. That's what Hanky was doing in Philadelphia, but you don't have to suck to do it. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have, you know, the 2021 Dallas pick, which is unprotected. Yes. Everyone assumes that Dallas is going to be good, but also the West is continually competitive. And as we just learned from the last lottery, since they flattened the odds, there's a much greater chance. It's not a great chance, but the Knicks, the Mavs could you know, have some Porzingis injury issues or um, just fit issues because their front office has continually tried to build through free agency and not in a holistic way like that David Griffin was talking today on this pot, on the, um, on the conference call. So they could flake out and they could finish, I don't know, with the ninth or the 10th worst record. And not saying that you would get the first pick in that 2021 draft, but you might have a reasonable shot at getting the fourth pick. <laughs> Something like that. So that would be the basis of the Knicks trade to me is 2019, 2020, 2022 from the Knicks, and then 21 and 23 from Dallas. You don't have to make all the picks, but I want all the assets because maybe a trade comes up and you can trade one of those picks to get something in but you still haven't completely sacrificed a draft in that year. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about is how they can make the salary match so that they can hypothetically bring in at least one max player, if not two. And how the Knicks can do that is if they send out the third pick after they sign it, Lance Thomas, Dennis Smith, Kevin Knox, and Mitchell Robinson. If they send all of that out, and you can either have Smith or Frank Nitticalina. Oh, I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> but either one of those guys, man, that was that was daring of me. Um, if they're sending out all of that, they're sending out about $25 million, which is enough to salary match with Anthony Davis's salary coming in. <laughs> so they can burn through their cap space and then flip the young guys get their either second or their third star and then fill out the rest with minimum contracts. I mean, that's how every super team ends up being built unless you have a whole lot of cheap rookies on your team that you feel like are going to contribute. And one thing that we really need to focus on when we're talking about the Lakers and the Knicks is the desperation factor for both franchises. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because when you're talking about, and we're talking about them later, the Celtics, and mm-hmm. the Clippers. Those are teams that are actually in a good place right now. They want to get a star, but they have competent front offices and they aren't completely desperate to get a guy right now. Exactly. The Lakers and the Knicks, they <laughs> are. 
and that's going to affect how much they're going to be willing to put on the table. That affects how much you can play the two of them off of each other. Now, for the Pelicans to receive that stuff, no. And it goes back to what we were talking about the Lakers um, a couple nights ago. Can you shift off some of these assets to get something that fits better with the Pelicans? Can you talk to the, t- the same teams we've talked about over and over again? Can you talk to the Pacers and get one of their big guys if you send them a wing and a draft pick? Can you talk to Memphis and possibly move up to two? Can you talk to Phoenix and send them – you know, a young point guard, again, in either Dennis Smith or Frank Maticolina, and get one of their more competent, more developed wings. Or Orlando. And this is my – I mean, you could you could talk Orlando, or I'm going to go back to Denver that we talked about right. a couple podcasts ago. What, what does it take, number one, to get Monty Morris out of there so that you can get a point guard that you know is going to be able to run Alvin Gentry's offense, is going to be competent, and steady alongside Drew Holiday and allow Drew to not have to be the point guard bringing up the floor every time. And then along with that, what kind of assets does it take to pry away um, Porter Jr. and say that that's our swing for the fences instead of, you know, some future pick sometime. So, but that's what I would do with the Knicks is just, again, take pretty much everything that I believe that they're going to throw at you See if you can reroute some of that stuff. Keep as much of the picks as you can, but spread them out so you only have two first-round picks a year. But spread it out so you can have two first-round draft picks a year for the next, you know, for the remainder of Zion's rookie contract. Not necessarily to use them all, but to have them as assets, to have them so that you don't, the rest of the league doesn't feel like they have leverage over you because you have too many picks in the draft and you can't bring in that many young guys. Right. And then what, what can you reroute? So, so that's what I would do. So I think there's generally a consensus on the players that the Knicks can put into play in some combination. You know, it's Lance Thomas, Dennis Smith Jr., Alonzo Trier, Frank Nilekina, um, Mitchell Robinson, and um, whomever they pick, at, and Kevin, uh, Kevin Knox. And no headliners. <laughs> right. So no lack headliners. out of that group, out of that group, obviously, people are saying that the Michael Hart nine one two. I get the package in a vacuum, but I find the Knicks horribly underwhelming compared to the Celtics, Clippers, even the Lakers. Dennis Smith Jr. and Knox may end up washing out entirely. Maybe I'm wrong. How would uh, Ali? What would you say? How, how warranted are his fears in that regard? <laughs> what a perfect question because the trade scenario that I came up with involves Memphis. Look, guys, we've talked about it at length at one time or another, whether on social media or on these podcasts, about the, you know, the fact of landing John Morant. I mean, he honestly, I mean, if the Pelicans never had Zion Williamson within their sights, he would be our number one um, asset that we would be chasing in this upcoming draft. Well, I think there's a really good chance that the Pelicans can still chase that asset, be able to land him, bring him in and place him alongside Zion. And I think the Knicks are the best team to be able to, to, to do that. I mean, honestly, when you look up, up and down the Knicks roster and you just basically named all their guys that are available for trade, look, none of those guys even comes up to, I would say, even a tenth of Anthony Davis's value, especially right now. So the Knicks know that that's, that, that's a fact. So they're going to have to try and – 
be able to finagle a way to make a deal uh, outside of their resources. And that involves bringing in a third team. Um, I know Preston did a nice piece where he asked somebody with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies SB Nation website uh, on their opinion on how possible, how likely would it be to be able to get John Morant, the second overall pick in the 2019 draft, to be able to swung to some other team. And honestly, I wasn't all that shocked by the answer. Uh, and it's the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies, outside of Jaron Jackson, they need a lot more help. And they don't have the assets to be able to provide that help. So they're going to be in search of basically bringing in, you know, the, the requisite uh, reinforcements. And if this is the biggest key, I think. If Memphis Grizzlies don't think that Morant, it, Morant I'm sorry, is going to be the favorite, is going to be one of the next superstars to come up in the NBA, I think there's a very good chance that they would be willing to deal that pick. And so if we go on that basis, then they would jump on board, say, in a three-team deal with the New York Knicks. So let's say that they would just flip, you know, just flip a pick. They would give up that number two, get the Knicks number three. They'll get Barrett. who And, and let's face it, we're not certain that Mike Conley is going to get traded away, right? If, I, if I'm the Grizzlies and I can bring in enough talent and you need to have a good veteran uh, leadership on that team, who better than have Mike Conley be in charge of all that talent? So let's say you've got you add Barron to Jackson, and you can add another pick or two, whether it's in this draft or in the next draft as well. So suddenly you're trying to build for the future, and you've got a pretty damn good chance of you know producing something. And then for the Knicks, you're getting Anthony Davis. That's all what this is about. I don't think too many people think that R.J. Barrett is going to be able to be able to leap into that top 10, maybe even, you know, the top 20 uh, of the NBA of, you know, of players. So if you're basing off of that assumption, you're going to want to grab Davis. You're going to want to grab any kind of, you know, available trade fodder that you can grab to whatever free agent you think you're going to be able to able to sign. So you're going to jump all over a deal where you can go ahead. Okay. You're going to give up a pick. But to get that pick, you're going to have to give up something. They will gladly give up a future pick because they've got a lot of things to, you know, a lot of assets to pass forward. So they, you know, I just think that the Knicks are in a perfect position to be able to be that mediator, to be able to facilitate a deal when it's two teams kind of on edge. So my, you know, I'm, I'm looking straight up. The Pelicans are going to be able to grab that second overall pick from the Memphis Grizzlies. The Knicks ship number three back their way. Knicks grab Anthony Davis. And the Pelicans, besides, you know, that number two, you know, you, you grab, you might, maybe you want to give Smith Jr. a ride. You know, the Pelicans do need some kind of uh, guards beside Drew Holiday. As we've seen, each one more has kind of been there on off. You still need somebody that can make an impact. And even though Russell Westbrook, and this is a comparison I'm going to use, even though he's had – you know, he has his warts. Oklahoma City Thunder overall has been a winner, despite the fact that this guy can't hit a shot outside of the paint. And that was never proven more so than this past season, regardless of what happened in the playoffs. And so you add him, you throw in the Mitchell Robinson. I don't know how the Pelicans will view him, but again, he's a guy that everybody is kind of, you know, entranced because this guy it was a second round pick. And he can, he's got those skills. He showed off, he had a couple amazing games this past season where he looked like 
better a better Clint Capella. If he's engaged, he can contribute. What's also, that, David? I was saying 22.4 PER. I mean, you know, yeah, he, he's a dunk machine and a shot blocking machine. Yeah, he can do those things. He's raw, like you said. Out of a big guy, what do you want in this league? You want a guy that can grab the rebounds, be that imposing defensive threat that can switch, guard the rim, etc. And Robinson has those talents, guys. The knock on him, of course, is his off-the-court stuff. And I've talked to some people here locally that followed him in high school, and they say that, you know, he's a risk. But again, if you think you can get him to overcome that, if you think he can mature, then he's a, he's a good gamble. So say you grab Smith, you grab Robinson, you grab John Morant, or, you know, whoever you wanted to pick number two. And then you grab a future pick from the Knicks, and I'm looking at that Dallas pick, that 2021 pick. If you can get that for Anthony Davis and all the Pelicans have to give up is AD, then I'm jumping all over that. When you can match up Zion and Ja with Drew Holiday, that's a win. After what we've heard over this last week on, on this quality human beings, this like-mindedness, this, 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 I mean, it's a template that's been put out there by David Griffin, right? He wants guys that have this certain, you know, ability, have this certain uh, know-or-thou, and, and, and this ability to basically, I don't know, be able to have this future where they, 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 they're, they're better than what people assume to be. So I just think that the New Orleans Pelicans can grab a couple of the top picks and they can make this trade and they can grab those human beings that they desire that flash it off the court. But on the court, we've seen what they've done in college, right? They're superstars. So if you can build something like that from year one, that's incredible because you've got seven years then to basically experiment, to build around that. And therefore, you can almost, you know, write in writing. If, if there's any kind of success that, you know, you might be looking at a dynasty. That's a, that's a mouthful. I mean, a dynasty is a mouthful. But I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm enraptured with John Moran as well. Uh, if you could walk out of this draft with Zion Williamson and John Morant, however that gets done, yeah. I mean, you, I, I don't. It, it'd be hard for me to to question anything for a while from David from David Griffin. Um, What's a better case scenario? That's I think that should be our next assumption, right? If I mean, you can do better than Zion and Jaw, what is better than that? I mean, it's just it just becomes a matter of. And, and we discussed this the last time. The Knicks have to be the ones that make it happen. And you're relying on those front offices. And, and that's the question, Mark. Is can, you, can you trust these front offices to make these things happen? Because they have to make it appealing enough to these other folks to, that they want these pieces. I do agree on the Memphis point that um, Mike Conley may be more valuable to them at the trade deadline than he is in the offseason. As teams try to figure out who their point guard is. Um, or especially as teams try to make a playoff run. And last year they didn't really get the kind of deal that they were looking for. Um, so I think teams will be a little bit more desperate to get Conley if he can prove he's healthy. Um, but yeah, if, if, if they're, if they are willing to ride with Conley for another year, then I get that would increase the likelihood of them passing on the run. Cause I don't think you can leave him on the bench. Um, if you bring him in as the as your point guard, I think you have to let him play. David, so, not only that, consider this thought. Mm-hmm. J- 
Jaron Jackson is your 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 best thing that you want to ha- you know head into the future, right? So, what is your next best asset if you're looking from a Memphis Grizzlies perspective? Are you going to label that as you know? I mean, Kyle Anderson because he's 25. Is it Bruno? I mean, they don't have a surefire number two that you can build around Jaron Jackson. So if you add John Morant, that's great. But where do they go from there? What if they can all of a sudden have like another option or two to be able to suddenly get, you know, their rebuild underway legitimately? You're right. They do need, I mean, the, the biggest need that they have is perimeter, perimeter talent. They, they don't have scores. They struggle to shoot. They struggle to get people going to the rim and if they get enamored by a guy like Barrett who has some size can put the ball on the on the floor and at his best is one of those people who can rise up and and is very athletic in the paint um as a finisher it again it depends on how much they're in love with RJ Barrett and there are people who are very much in love with RJ Barrett um Kevin what do you think about that um yeah I don't know I I just I really don't see Memphis moving away from John Morant. I mean, I, I get why we are excited about that, but I think it's a little bit too hopeful on our part. Um, I understand that adding extra picks for them is maybe going to entice them a little bit, but I don't think it's enough because uh, what are what are the picks you're going to send them? You're going to send them a, a 2020 New York Knicks pick that's, you know, has possibly a super team on it or, you know, I don't know. I just don't think it's enough if they truly love the player and that's the player that they want, and that's all indications that we've heard, then I don't see them sacrificing it for just an additional pick. And I don't think there's enough in that package to add, to make it enticing where then it is also still enticing for the Pelicans. Okay. So here's another question from seven, eight, nine. Um, The big question for me is with the Knicks package. So if you end up with RJ Barrett, do you think that R.J. Barrett is going to be better than Tatum? Uh, Fisher, what do you think about that? That's really hard to say. I would, what, I, what I would say is that Barrett, up to this point in his career, while his shot looks pretty, has been very unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not just talking about what he's shooting behind the arc. But right. a big thing that I always dive into is what are you shooting from the line? I can pull up his stats right here really quickly but what jumps off my page is it might have been like high 60s low 70s that that doesn't scream to me somebody who is a great shooter now and that's the, that's the one thing that you can say that Tatum does have now there's there's questions on Tatum when it comes to his shot selection but aren't there little... those questions for RJ Barrett too <laughs> <laughs> exactly they're both kind of mid-range heavy and RJ's a volume shooter. Oh. And and another thing is what I remember, and I think there's a little bit of recency bias when we're talking about um, Tatum is the fact that he had a great rookie playoff campaign, and this year it wasn't as good, and we blame it on Tatum and not the situation. Who's we? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm well, with I'm you. Saying, I, don't, I think the situation – greatly impacted Tatum's season because the, well, the stats I, I, still showed that they were better with him on the floor than off. Yeah, but what I've seen from a lot of Pelican 
fans. And then, of course, all of the Laker fans will flood our mentions all the time. <laughs> Tatum isn't as good, and Tatum isn't this, and Tatum isn't that, because of his most recent game, pretty much. And when the positive that I see in the idea of pairing Zion with Tatum that I don't, that I worry that isn't there with Barrett and Tatum is number one, if you bring in Tatum, he's going to be your number one offensive option. As good as Zion is, as good as he is, like contributing in all of these different ways. David, why not, do you think that, real quick? Why do you think that? What? That Zion's not why the number he, one option? Why would, he, why would he request being the number one option? Who? Tatum. Which one? Tatum. Tatum? I think that that's yeah. what he thinks that he's supposed to be. He's got mama mentality. Hmm. And I, I think I that's agree. that's a big thing about I think the, why it I'm didn't sorry. work for him in Boston is the fact no. that Kyrie kind of has the same mentality. And so it's hard. Some guys, their game is fueled off of touching the ball. Sure. And I think Tatum and Barrett are both in that place. But Tatum is so much further along offensively that you can give him the keys. And you can't look at Barrett and Zion coming in as rookies at the same time and tell Barrett, yeah, you sat second seat behind Zion for a whole year in college, but now we're going to give it to you as a rookie over, you know, Drew and Zion. That can't happen. But I think if you bring in Tatum, Tatum is clearly, in, in my mind, Tatum is your number one scoring option, your number one offensive option. And then both Drew and Zion work off of that. and. Hopefully you can mold Tatum's shot selection to be more three-point heavy, more take-it-to-the-rim heavy, and less you need to settle for the mid-range jumper because you're the only guy that can create a shot because he'll have shot creators around him. They won't just necessarily be as good as creating their own shot as he. I would, and if, I, if I may, I would say that the problem that I would have with RJ and the Pelicans' offense is that I don't think that he would – you know, A, his shot selection. Um, I don't think he would be as good spacing the floor as Tatum is because I think Tatum has a better three-point stroke. Um, but also, my issue with Barrett is he just, like, again, as, as Dave um, kind of alluded to, you go to Duke and it was Zion and RJ. And then he's going to come to New Orleans and it's going to be Zion and RJ. And for a guy who's kind of trying to reestablish his status, he believed, you know, coming out of high school, he was the guy. He was supposed to be the lead at Duke. He was I the number one was, guy. Yeah, he was the number one prospect. Everybody's got to remember, to be the guy. RJ Bear he, was number one. Zion was number three when the college season started. Right. So for him not, to have to go that. through that again and to do that as yeah. a rookie when he's trying to find himself as a player, but to have the crowd be Zion, 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 and everywhere, I, even though they're best friends. I just think that's a lot of pressure to put on a 19-year-old to have to prove himself all over again with the guy that he had to do that with in college. I agree, Grove. And also, I want to – I mean, Barrett committed to Duke first. Yes. I want to say he committed to Duke in November. He did not Zion know Zion did. was coming. Yeah. Exactly. He thought he was going to be the man. And then – the second thing Donald is... was going to go to Clemson. I mean, just think about how the coverage is going to revolve around Zion 
That's what I'm saying. Whoever you what whatever pick that you put beside Zion, if you're going to have two lottery picks, he's the guy who's going to get the blame mm-hmm. before Zion and the he's accolades. The the, and the accolades. <laughs> Zion's going to get the accolades. The rookie that you put beside him is going to be exactly. the most scrutinized rookie that you could possibly have. Exactly. Is that the place that you want to put R.J. Barrett? And, and to a degree, he he had he had that situation here at Duke the last year. You didn't hear any negative reporting about Zion, but shot selection issues. Can he be the number two? What's the hierarchy? You got a lot of that on Barrett, even at Duke. It's going to be worse if you pair the two of them up in the NBA, which is why, I mean, if we're if we're solely basing it on who is the gem of the trade. And then, so you're pretty much comparing Barrett and Tatum. I think you go with Tatum. Yeah. It's, it's hard to make a case for the Pelicans to want Barrett enough at the three to make the Knicks take him. What if Zion says, that's the way I want it. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think he's going to. It doesn't matter. I I know, but I'm just saying hypothetically, what if he says he or alludes to now. the fact? Yeah, he's not. He's. You think Griffin? Yeah, this. You think Griffin's going to be like, okay? It's like we'll take it under consideration. All right, thanks. He's going to draft who he wants to draft. I know, but when you're talking about reaching in this draft, where he has said, and I'm talking about David Griffin, that there's a lot of players that he would like because they're quality human beings, and he don't include R.J. Barrett. What does that say to Zion? Let, I mean, I don't know how close, honestly, his relationship is with R.J. Barrett. I have read that they're best friends. So, okay, let's go operate under that assumption. If Zion really says, if you have a chance to grab my buddy, please do so. I mean, what does that entail? I, I just, I, I think that's, again, I, and one of you guys, please chip in on this. I just, I just don't. I just don't think he would do that. But if he did, if, if you're asking me to play that game and to say, what if he did do it? I just still don't see David Griffin. I mean, he, he will have the, a conversation with him and make him understand. I get where you're coming from. We like RJ, but we have to draft whomever we think is best for the franchise long term. And, and, and it, it, I mean, that's all he can do. He can't promise any because you do that. You set yourself down a path that you can never come back from. Yeah, I know, but here's my scenario, right? So the Pelicans grab Zion, number one, and they make a trade. Anthony Davis is gone, and they have a chance for another top pick. What if that top pick is Ja? Or what if that decision is between Morant and Barrett? How does that honestly play into, you know, Zion's thinking? How do you appease him? That's what I'm getting at. I mean, you well, appease him. If, it's, if you're choosing between Ja and, and Barrett, it's easy because you say – Ja makes will make your life easier and will make the whole team's life easier because simply because of the position and kind of player that he is. And that's a big hole there. Um, you know, it's going to help you develop to have a guy that can create shots for you instead of a guy that can take shots away from you. Yeah, I'm just going to say it's a positionless NBA. And we but know you look what at players... that roster and you say you and you can say, look, at, we, we are. We are we are a need at point guard. We don't have a point guard because you don't right now. Sure, and, that, so and that's why you, we're all high on Morant. All so right. you, if if that's the, the decision, I show Zion that I'm like we don't have a point guard, and then I show him the rosters of the Western Conference teams, 
and I just show them the guard tandem. And I'm like, this is what happened. This is the standings of this league. These are the guard tandems. And here's where we are without a point guard. We need a point guard. We love you. We need a point guard. You need a point guard. We don't want you to – this offense will make sure that the ball ends up in your hands. It's a, Everybody gets touches anyway. But if you've seen – you saw what we did. Show them that Rondo tape. You see what we did? We had this as our point guard. Okay, give us a guy that grows with you for the next seven years. That's why I feel like if I'm the Pelicans, if I get the third pick, I try to trade down a little bit. Not too far, but just trade down a little bit to get extra pieces for the arm because – I mean, I'm not enamored with Barrett. I don't know if any of you guys are, but I'm not. You know, like Morant, if you can get him, awesome. That's what you do for sure. But if you could fall down a little bit and then get another serviceable player or even another pick in a future draft, whatever that is, I think that's the way to go because you still get a, a young player. That's why I came up with the Sun scenario. I could see them possibly wanting to move up. Um, and then, you know, I really like Mikhail Bridges. I think he'd fit very well across from um zion and um you know and then you still get the sixth pick where one of those point guards or a couple of those forwards are going to fall that you can choose and then you don't have to deal with the pressure of having to take morant i mean um, of taking uh barrett also because you know you can justify well i was also able to get these things that i also needed filling multiple holes okay guys so we're approaching the top of the hour so let's kind of put a bow on this one um Starting with uh, Dave Fisher, how likely are, uh, do you think it is that the Pelicans make a trade with the Knicks? And then at the same time, the second part of the question would be, honestly, is the value with the Knicks, does it lie entirely in the potential of their draft picks rather than the players on their roster? Um, I, I believe that the Knicks are very high on the list for – Two primary reasons. One, the desperation of their front office and the fact that they want to make a big splash. And what what the Pelicans need to do is the Pelicans need to trade by draft night because they need to trade by draft night when teams are trying to make a trade that shapes free agency rather than they're trying to make a trade that reacts to what has already happened free agency because none of the big names have committed yet on draft night. So you want to make the trade on draft night because all of the offers are hypothetically on the table. Whereas once guys start signing, you might have teams drop off as potential contenders. You want to have the broadest possible marketplace. That's a great point. The The Knicks and the Lakers are high on the possible destinations, less because of I'm enamored with any particular asset or player that you might get in return, but because you're going to have that desperation and it allows Dave Griffin to save face and to show other teams, Anthony Davis made this trade offer and I sent him to a place that he wanted to go. I don't, I, I, I understand the whole David Griffin needs to make the best trade for the Pelicans. I believe that he will, but at the same time, he has the desperation of both of those franchises to make the big splash. And he has the PR win amongst the other agents and the, the guys that he always has to negotiate against all the time that he's going to give Anthony Davis something of what he wanted. 
And then for us as fans, we have the expectation that he's going to go into either of those franchises are really a dumpster fire and he'll fail, but he'll fail on the absolute biggest stage. And you just point at him and laugh and say, you got what you wanted. Look at how wonderful it is. All right, so, Kevin, <laughs> um, again, how, uh, how likely do you think it is that the Knicks, um, you know, make this trade with the Pelicans? And then um, just again, just do you want them to make the deal with the Knicks? Okay, so if they can get the Memphis pick, I'd say it's a hundred percent likely. And, yes. And if if they can get the Memphis pick, it's my top choice. I would say. Yes. Now, I don't know. I don't know that that's going to happen. I really don't think that's going to happen. So now I'm looking at this and I'm looking at a list of players that aren't very enticing. Like I like Mitchell Robinson. I mean, it's probably a little bit because he's from here. I probably like him a little bit more than I should. Um, but he does have the skill set that you said, you know, he doesn't have much of an offensive game yet uh, outside of catching lobs and dunking. Um, but, you know, other than that, there's really no young player there. Kevin Knox doesn't look like he's going to be anything. And then the third if you get the third pick in the draft to me, what's the difference between getting the third pick in this draft and the sixth pick in this draft? You know, there's, it, you're going to get a, about the same kind of level player. Maybe. I mean, I know you guys like Culver, you know, college basketball better than I do. So I've heard a lot He'd of be there at four or five or six, but yeah, he might be there five or six. So like, I, I don't really think that this, package as a whole is great although you know as we talked about i think in my package and i know in uh david's uh fisher's package we were getting two draft picks in every draft for the next three or four years um so that's great for building a team um but you know you look at what david griffin wanted he wanted a young player that has star potential he wanted a quality role player and draft picks I look at this, Mitchell Robinson could be that quality role player. Alonzo Trier could be that quality role player, perhaps. But if you're just looking at the Knicks roster and that third pick, I don't think that that's a young star, necessarily. Um, so it knocks it down a little bit. Um, I think, I, I mean, like I said, I like my version because I really like Mikhail Bridges and I think he's a good fit. And then you still drop the five, I mean, it dropped the six and you still could get a pick in this draft. So that if you could do something like that, I think it's a little more enticing because then I'm getting a young player now that I kind of like. Uh, whereas I look at the other stuff, it's like, yeah, they're okay, but it's nothing that really gets me excited. Um, and even I'm sure Mikhail Bridges isn't making everybody excited, but he's just a long forward that it projects to be a solid defender that can score some and, you know, move the ball a little bit. Um, so, I like him for that reason because, you know, the other option is we can get Tatum or we could get the third pick in this, but at least with this we could have the third pick or whatever we could trade that for and perhaps only, perhaps somebody like Mikhail Bridges and that sort of deal to at least have that wing. Um, but, yeah, it's just a complicated deal where the where really the only assets are the draft picks. So I, I could see – Trajan Langdon being excited about it because you can really go in and build a culture and identity through the draft that way on a longer pace. I'm not sure his boss is as patient as he would like to be. So I think that therefore, if you're not getting John Morant, 
I don't think this deal goes through. Ollie, um, I, I, I think Kevin made some great points there, especially yeah. just about you know the 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 balance of trying to have enough young talent, but also some established players. Um, what's your spot on that? There's only two ways that a deal is going to go down involving Anthony Davis with the Knicks. And it's going to be one, what Kevin just alluded to, uh, get, be, being able to get John Morant somehow, some way back funneled to New Orleans. Or the other scenario, is, which I think is a lot less unlikely, is the fact that the Pelicans somehow value somebody other than Zion Williamson really highly, basically to where they're the number two you know, pick in the draft. So whether that's Morant, whether that's Barrett, whether that's Culliver, White, um, if they value somebody that's a clear-cut number two to them, they will be willing to make that deal with the Knicks because they can get that player. If not, there's no way I think that the Knicks are going to be even, you know, even in consideration in, in terms of a trade for Anthony Davis when that time comes. I mean, I honestly think it's that simple. It's either John Morant or whoever else they think is honestly a legit, far and away, number two to Zion. Yeah, I think, you know, my thing is on the public relations side of this, if I'm selling this deal, you have to get that too. Because the player you take out of that pick this year, like you said, compared to the rest of the guys in that group, you know, like people will get a buzz about Mitchell Robinson because they know who he is and you put his clips on and they can get excited. But unless you're, unless you've been watching the Knicks, you've got no reason to be excited about Alonzo Trier. I've, I, you know, I've watched the Knicks. I know he can shoot the ball. I know he's a, he's a solid player. He's a solid player. He's not a star, but he's a solid player. Yeah. But, you know, and I know that the rest of those guys, I mean, are all speculative. So yeah, you have to get a headliner out of the draft for the Knicks if you're going to be able to sell this in some way, because you can't just say we walked out with five draft picks and nobody you've heard of that, yeah. that that's that's a disaster for the pelicans even if it down the road paid off in the short term they lose the city on that one let me ask you guys this like you know obviously having a third pick makes it more likely that you can move up to two but with the option of two being eliminated moving up to two being eliminated would it almost be better if the knicks had landed at four than three because if you land at three, then there's all this pressure and expectation to take RJ, which is possibly a bad fit for all the reasons we just discussed. But if you had four, then that pressure would be alleviated and you could get that other player. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Dave, what do you think? Um, I don't think so, just because you want to have the highest possible pick just in case the guy you want goes before you pick. Um, even if, because it's not necessarily a guarantee that the order goes Morant, RJ. I know everyone believes that that's going to be the order, and there's a reason to believe that that's going to be the order. But whoever would have landed at three might have valued somebody else higher, and RJ doesn't go three. Or, um, you know, somebody could have landed at two that that wouldn't have valued Morant as high. Like there was, there was the definite hope. I know Grub and I talked about this numerous times. What if the right, what if the Pelicans win the lottery and the right team lands at two that doesn't want a point guard, mm-hmm. and then you either have the Knicks or the Lakers or somebody at three, and there's a reasonable expectation that Jaw is going to be there. 
So I don't think the Knicks landing at four would have made their package more enticing. But I do think uh, the Knicks young guys plus all those picks could possibly, one, be routed to the right team to get something back that you want where you have not necessarily a headliner. Like if, if the Pelicans found a way to swing it to Indiana and they brought in Sabonis, we would be thrilled. And the casual fan would not care at all. Like they, but it's, they I'm would. saying the pick, it's the pick. Who, the, Cause if you're, you're not going to give away the lottery pick you get. So it's, no, you're it's, not going to give away. You got to win the pick. So yeah, that's, that's the, the other thing. The other thing I would say about that, especially with Langdon coming in, is that he has a history already in Brooklyn. Now, granted, he wasn't the only guy making those picks. He was, you know, on a team making those picks. But the Nets kind of nailed the draft where they were picking the past couple of years, which is why they're in the place they're in. And a guy who's nailed the draft over and over again as your general manager might value picks a lot more than we value picks because he he says i know what i'm doing i have this broad scouting base i can do this internationally with um Turex that he got in the second round yes give me picks i can build you a team with picks because then i get to make the choices i don't have to worry about signing guys or negotiating the right trade with somebody else just give me picks and i can make it happen and just <laughs> And that's something I think that is that conflict with what Alvin's agenda may be and with what Griffin's agenda, because they said, you know, hey, we'll we'll argue with each other if need be, because Alvin told Ali and I on a number of occasions, he really liked either the Celtics or the the Lakers packages because he thought he could win immediately (laughs) with one of those. So I think he's going to be pushing for something like that. And then whatever Griffin is, his mindset is, and like you said, Landon may be viewing the picks is the most valuable piece how gentry, I guess, I they're gonna have to square that they're gonna have to square that but honestly and all due to respect to gentry he has the shortest self-life of anybody in this franchise at this point oh, yeah. outside of anthony davis true <laughs> yeah true. yeah yeah, we don't, yeah. <laughs> and if you're basing how you're gonna make this trade that doesn't just sh- the trade doesn't shape your franchise this year. The trade sh- shapes your franchise and what your roster is going to look like in 2022, in 2000, 2023, in 2024. How many of us? How many of us really believe that in 2024, when Zion's you know beginning his second contract, that his head coach is still Alvin Gentry? Good what would be the chances on that? Like what? Less than 10 percent? Less than 5 percent? That he's going to be the coach. I mean, so if history is any indicator, you'd say Alvin has two years or less. If if he, so, uh, for number one draft picks outside of what Greg Popovich, head coach, two years mm-hmm. less. Yeah, but let's be fair to Alvin Gentry for a second, guys. It's the fact that a coach is is brought in to do essentially what? It's to win games, right? Yeah. So Alvin doesn't know any better the other than to persuade his coaching staff, his players, to go ahead and notch that W. So I'm not putting this on Alvin at all. I think this no, all no, has no, to do with right. I just want to clarify that for the listeners. This is not on Alvin. This decision, what we're talking about, this has nothing to do with Alvin's timeline to me. 
No, no I'm just it, saying it, in the building, his voice would be because he's he's going to talk to Griffin. We know that, and they have sure. that relationship. And his voice will be, "I'd like to get more. You know, I'd like you to make sure I." Get he wants win now, guys. Look, we saw last season, last at the beginning of training camp, I had heard that Troy Williams was Alvin Gentry's favorite over keeping Kenrich Williams, but yet the Pelicans kept Kenrich because they thought he had a better chance of having a long, you know, a better career, right? And we saw Kenrich didn't get into any games until pretty much the season was lost. And especially he didn't start making an impact until after, you know, Anthony Davis's trade request. As to where, you know, Troy Williams got picked up by Sacramento Kings. He had a couple of good games. So you saw what Alvin was fighting for. So I just don't think it's fair to bring up the fact that whatever Alvin Gentry wants, I don't think that applies to what our logic is tonight. No, that, that's precisely what I'm saying. With That's just supporting documentation to the fact that a, a head coach is going to want to win. He's going to want to win yes. now. Thanks, Dave. Yep. His, his wants should not, should not color the direction that David Griffin and Trajan Langdon go with the trade. They should be building on a timeline that extends beyond a reasonable timeline for Alvin Gentry not because Gentry is or isn't a good coach or anything like that, but if they're talking about generational and sustained excellence and et cetera, they, they can't worry about the coach's needs for the 2019-2020. Right. Not on that. this trade. Yeah. Not I, on I, this trade. Like on a smaller trade, yes. But on the Anthony Davis trade, no. This is about the long arc of the franchise and where we're trying to go five years down the line. And I think that's that's one area where we absolutely have consensus, no matter what team we've discussed, is that, you know, how does this set them up for years and years and years to do this and not just win the day? Um, so I think that that's our consensus there. Um, as far as the Knicks go, I think we've covered all the bases. Anybody else have anything else that they want to add on this team? No, I mean, we kind of I, I don't think we exclusively said it, but none of the none of the people on their roster honestly um, entices us. And I think that's important to note because I think that's a general consensus across the league. So I just want to make sure that fans know that if you're going to make a deal with the Knicks, it's not about who they have currently on the roster. It's about what else they can give you in return for a trade. All righty then. All right, so let's end it there. Um, we don't know the exact day yet, but coming soon, our next team that we will cover are the Los, is the Los Angeles Clippers. And a lot of people are excited about that team. I think every, all of us are excited about what potentially the Clippers could put on the table. Um, but are, until the – yeah, right? Dave, you excited? Man? Yeah, they are, they are at the top. They are at the very top of the list. Yeah, right? I think for months we've been on the Clippers trail with this, with this I, I believe. Ali, I think we go back what? I mean, uh, yeah, honestly, between – I think that – As soon as what? I think of the trade deadline when when they made their big deal to, to move Harris yes. to Philadelphia. I think on that day you and I were talking and we said, oh, move move the Clippers up to the top three. Right. And not only that, we were hunting the Clippers and then we had Kevin talking about the Nets. So I swear to God, we nailed the Clippers and the Nets before anybody else did. Oh, yeah. So that will be for next time. And – Thank you for everybody who submitted on Twitter. Um, I'm sorry we can't get to everybody, um, but we do try to fit it as many as we can. But um, on behalf of Kevin, David Fisher, Ali Cosell, and myself, 
Um, thank you for listening. And until the next time, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.